Hi, this is David Flowers, senior pastor at Grantham Church, an intergenerational convergent third-way congregation with the Brethren in Christ U.S., and located in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast and for following the sermons that I and many others preach at Grantham. This is a free podcast, and it'll always be that way, but if you'd like to give and help further the work we're doing for the kingdom, we'd greatly appreciate it. If you want to do that, you can do that by going to granthamchurch.org and clicking on the Giving tab. Whether you're a member of our church or you're listening as a parishioner, it's our greatest desire that you would encounter Jesus and be changed by the good news wherever you are. Anyway, God bless you, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. Good morning, Grantham Church. Thank you for joining us in worship today, and if you're joining via the live stream, welcome. My name is David Flowers. I'm the senior pastor here at Grantham. This is the sixth and final Sunday of Lent in our Lenten series, Seeking God's Ways. This series, we have been exploring the higher ways of God. According to Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, God says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And since Jesus shows us what God is like, remember Paul said, Christ is the visible image of of the invisible God. I just love that. Uh, We've been looking then to Jesus to best understand God's ways so that we might repent of our own way and believe in the gospel and follow the way of Christ in his kingdom. And if you're new or just joining us this morning, you've missed any of the messages in this series, I encourage you to check those out online at our website or through our podcast. We began this series by looking at how God calls us to move from security to generosity and then from fear to compassion and then from earning to receiving, from exceptionalism to inclusion in the way of Jesus. And then last week we looked at how to move from a scarcity to an abundance mindset. Now here we are in the final installment in this series. We want to embrace God's higher way by moving from power over to power under, with, and for. This morning we're looking to, we're going to look at the contrast between two entries or two arrivals into Jerusalem on the day when we remember Uh, as Palm Sunday and reflect on Jesus' understanding and use of power and then invite the Spirit to help us embody His higher way. Before we go any further, would you pray for me and pray with me? Father, we ask now that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, we want to lay aside all that we think we know so that you can teach us now. Holy Spirit, that we might hear your voice over the voices of other idols and allegiances and ideologies and so forth. Jesus, the one who comes riding on a donkey, speak to our hearts this morning. And all God's people said, Amen. Palm Sunday. What is it? Why the palms? 
Hey, it was cute, you know, the kids came down, we all enjoyed that, warmed the hearts, but why do, why do we do that? Why do we recognize this on the church calendar? Why is Jesus riding a donkey after all? And how did the crowd understand what was happening that day? Uh, we can find the Palm Sunday account in all four of the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We are uh, looking at Luke through this series primarily because it's the lectionary text for this, for this year. But we see there Jesus' entry into Jerusalem is included in all four Gospels, and they're told with slight variations. You heard the story read a little earlier. It talked about cloaks being laid down on the ground in front of Jesus, but it didn't mention palms in that one. So each one of the gospel writers have different reasons for including the details that they do into the story. Let's think about the context here. A few days before the passage which you heard read, a few days before Passover, which is the highest uh, celebration in the Jewish calendar. Remember Passover uh, remembers and celebrates God's deliverance of the people of Israel out of bondage in Egypt. Now think about that. That doesn't just have spiritual implications. It has political ones. Folks, we need to hear this because I'm guessing that the majority of us grew up in a church where we completely depoliticized the New Testament. Right? Where the gospel is all about just simply saying a prayer so you can die and go to heaven one day. We need to understand the historical, social cultural, political context of what's going on here to really enter in and then be able to apply what we see. So this is a high festival with political connotations. And Jesus had been staying in Bethany, which is a little village right over the Mount of Olives, just a couple miles away. Uh, Bethany means, it's Bet-Ani in Hebrew, it means the house of the poor. That's where Jesus was staying. Not in Hilton in Jerusalem for the festival. Just keep that in mind. So Jesus is coming from Bethany. Now what did he do in Bethany? He raised Lazarus from the dead. We'll get to that in just a minute. Because of that, people are anxious. I mean, Jesus has done a lot of phenomenal things, right? I mean, he's, he's healed blind people. He's, he's uh, made lame people walk. He's fed the 5,000. He's done a lot of stuff. He's even resuscitated someone who had just passed away. But Lazarus, his friend, has been dead for four days. <laughs> and Jesus raises him. And when Jesus does this, people are thinking the kingdom is coming. Uh, you know, if he can do this, surely, surely he can overthrow our oppressors when he strolls into Jerusalem. So get this context. The people are anxious. They're anxious because they're thinking, he could be our deliverer. Surely he is. They're also anxious, the other, the other crew, the religious leaders, because they're thinking, oh, that's it. Now everybody's gonna follow him. We gotta put an end to this. This is the context. And knowing their intentions, this crowd has gathered now because they heard of what Jesus has done in Bethany and they're ready to herald him as king. And so Jesus makes plans. He makes plans to 
put on some prophetic political theater. Prophetic political theater when he plans his triumphal, we call it, entry into Jerusalem. He secures a donkey, which should remind us of Zechariah 9. You can look this up, Zechariah 9, verses 9 through 10, which prophesies God's king would come on a donkey. But this is also comical. You'll, you'll see that, and I think that will become clear this morning why that's, why that's comical. Jesus doesn't come in on a stallion. He chooses a donkey. But he secures this ahead of time because Jesus knows what the crowd has in mind. He understands the mob mentality. He understands that at this point and up to this point, they've not really understood the kind of Jesus the Messiah which we just sung about. They don't, they don't understand what that is. You follow me? So the crowd gathers in Bethany. They're ready to parade him into the city. Jesus secures the donkey. He's probably at this point already thinking about what he will do when he strolls into the temple. Remember what he did there. He has Zechariah in mind with the donkey. He has Jeremiah in mind with the, what we call the cleansing of the temple. Really, Jesus goes to shut it down. He says, my father's house is to be a house of prayer. You remember that? So Jesus is already getting in his wheels are turning. I know what I'm going to do. Then look at Luke chapter 19. Open up to Luke 19. Because I think we, we miss verse 41 through 44. Very key here. Very key. Because normally we think about Palm Sunday as a celebratory thing. And in a way it is. But it's because we know truly as Christians the kind of Messiah and King Jesus plans to be. But the people then did not. And so they're excited for different reasons. And Jesus has to set the record straight. Look at Luke 19 verse 41 through 44. A passage that we tend to forget. How Jesus was feeling about this moment. But as he came closer to Jerusalem and saw the city ahead, he began to weep. So Jesus isn't celebrating. Jesus isn't waving palm branches. <laughs> He's not too thrilled about what is unfolding. Look what he says, verse 42. How I wish today that you of all people would understand the way to peace. But now it is too late. And peace is hidden. Shalom is hidden from your eyes. Before long, your enemies will build ramparts against your walls and encircle you and close in on you from every side. Now, Jesus is prophetically speaking of A.D. 70. The Romans will destroy the walls, destroy the temple, ransack the city. And Jesus is prophesying this. And he says, verse 44, they will crush you into the ground and your children with you. Your enemies will not leave a single stone in place because you did not recognize it when God visited you. And everybody can take a deep breath now. This is Palm Sunday. And Jesus is setting the stage for what this week is going to be like. What is coming? Jesus wept as he arrived, yet the people didn't seem to notice much. 
do we see Jesus weeping? This isn't a happy scene, as I said. And then according to John 12, verse 12 through 14, it appears that Jesus, get this, hopped on the donkey once he began to see the waving of the palm branches and hearing the shouts of Hosanna. So think about each one of these. Let's think about the donkey. Let's think about the hosannas. Let's think about the palm branches. Why the donkey? Well, as we already alluded to, Jesus is fulfilling Zechariah 9, verse 9 and 10. But he's also making a statement. Because someone who's coming to do war doesn't ride a donkey, which is some precedent in the Old Testament for that, for kings to ride donkeys. It symbolizes peace. But it's, but it's also, as I said, comical, as you're about to see why. So Jesus doesn't choose a war horse or a stallion. Now at this point, some of you, you're thinking, oh yeah, that's right, that's because that's for Revelation. <laughs> well, in the book of Revelation, which is apocalyptic literature, mind you, the prophet John is turning all of these images on its head. If you look closely at the book of Revelation, Jesus is on a white horse for purity and for holiness, is covered in blood, but it's not, his, it's not the people's blood that he's slaughtering, it's his own blood that he shed. And the sword he uses is the word that comes out of his mouth. You see what's happening there? It's turning these violent images on their head. So what some of us want them to mean, they don't mean. Jesus is the Messiah on the donkey. He is a lamb come to be the sacrifice for us all. So he's making a statement with this donkey. And then the Hosanna. Hosanna is the Aramaic, which is the language Jesus spoke. If you've seen Passion of the Christ, they, they actually have Jesus speaking Aramaic there. And it's a two-part Hebrew word, Hosiah, which means help us, and the ending na. So Hosiah na. Hosanna, nah, right? Hosanna, giving it a sense of urgency. Save us now. Please, Lord, deliver us. <laughs> deliver us. So what about the palm branches? Now, they're not being used here as the ancient equivalent of a, a giant foam finger. <laughs> You're number one, Jesus. Maybe you see at ball games. Rather, they tap into Israel's political memory and symbolize revolution and independence. This goes back 200 years to when the Jewish people led by the Maccabees. Uh, if you grew up in the Catholic Church, you're probably used to reading a Bible that had some intertestamental books in there. First and second Maccabees. It tells the history of this. 200 years before Jesus, the Maccabean family led a revolt against the Seleucid Empire and they celebrated, guess what, with palm branches. What are they thinking when they welcome the king on the donkey, right? You say, but why didn't they get the image of peace, of peace? Well, you know, we've had some people that say you have to understand when we talk about peace, we're talking about war. You heard that before? So, peace comes through the sword. Lots of folks think that way. And so, this doesn't really impact them, Jesus weeping in the donkey just yet. Now, they're going to understand this. The disciples understand this post-crucifixion and resurrection. Lots of things will become clear. So, now consider, what else was likely happening at the same time Jesus is being heralded like a king down one road 
and through the eastern gate into Jerusalem. Ah, this is good. Listen to this. Some scholars believe that Jesus would have known this is the first day of Passover and someone else was coming riding into town that day to keep the peace. What they knew as the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome during Passover. Because remember, Passover has political connotations. Passover is about throwing off oppression. Passover is about freedom for God's people. And lots of riots and rebellions broke out in Passover. So Caesar wanted to make sure that his prefect, Pontius Pilate, was there in person on that day. And this is when Pilate arrived. He was scheduled to travel down the road from Caesarea Maritima, which was on the Mediterranean coast. It was his coastal home and palace and where he kept a garrison of soldiers. He brings his military crew down from Caesarea on the Mediterranean coast and he arrives through the west gate to flex Rome's imperial muscles and discourage any violent revolts during Passover. You getting the picture? Well, if you need help with that picture, here is a map, and I've added some animations. I, you didn't know I had so many skills, did you? Right? See, you can see from this map of Jerusalem where Jesus would be riding in from the east uh, into what was known as the Eastern Gate. Now, what's, what's interesting is some centuries ago, uh, they, you can just Google this, they, they walled up those gates because it's prophesied the Messiah would come through those gates. <laughs> Still today, those, those gates are walled up. So the Jewish deliverer can't come, but you know, that, can't, that doesn't stop the Lord. We should know that. So Jesus came from Bethany over the Mount of Olives through the eastern gate. Pilate comes through a west-northwestern gate. We're not entirely sure which one. It was probably the gate that, would, that led to Caesarea Maritima, which is known as the fish gate. Now listen to how New Testament scholars Marcus Borg and John Dominic Crossan describe this Roman parade into Jerusalem in their book the last week. They say this. It was a visual penelope of imperial power, cavalry on horses, foot soldiers, leather armor, helmets, weapons, banners, golden eagles mounted on poles, sun glinting on metal and gold, sounds, the marching of feet, the creaking of leather, the clinking of bridles, the beating of drums, the swirling of dust, the eyes of the silent onlookers, some curious, some odd, some resistant. I mean, it wasn't too many Passovers ago. Violent revolt had started and Pilate had crucified a bunch of folks for it. This is the oppressing power that is coming into town. We can imagine some weren't very happy about that. And to help us envision the contrast of power that day, let's see the images next to each other. Notice the contrast between the Roman parade of, let's say, law and order and power over against Jesus' counter-procession of peace and power under. If you think about the context, you think about the, what's, what's going on here in the picture, the contrasting picture 
of these two powers. Folks, we should be able to see more clearly the kind of king that we worship this morning and the kind of followers that he calls to follow his way. Don't miss this church. The image on the right is intended to be a bit ridiculous in contrast to Pilate's procession. And let, let me just say this. I didn't put it on the right for some reason some may imagine. I could have easily put it on the left. You know, I, I remember once preaching this that Jesus instead of taking a right turn before you get to the Easter Gate, the Antonio Fortress was there. That may be where a Messiah would go. And I said he took a right instead of a left. Somebody's like, oh, I see what you did there. No, no, no. It's not what we're, we're not talking about American politics. So this counter procession of Jesus, it would have looked silly. It would have looked powerless. It would have been a very vulnerable thing to do. And it was aimed at those who think real power looks like conquering heroes on horseback with the glory of their entourage. And we still see this kind of thing today, right? Military powers, they have a parade of their missiles and their weapons and, and their soldiers marching and whatnot. We still, we understand this image. It was intended to communicate that real power in, in, on, on, on Jesus, in, in contrast of the picture on the left, real power isn't about threats, isn't about brutal force and military might. Instead, his arrival into Jerusalem is a flat-out denouncement of worldly kingdom thinking that salvation comes by the sword. Right? The, the myth of redemptive violence. It's, it's, it's not good, no matter the age that we live in. It's not the way the kingdom comes. So folks, think about it. As New Testament scholar Crossan points out, he says, Jesus rode the most unthreatening, most unmilitary mount imaginable. A female nursing donkey with her little colt trotting along beside her. Right? Is it a bit comedic? Yes. Is it a bit prophetic? Certainly. But it's also wholly reflective of God's true character and the ways of the kingdom of God to which we have been called. Remember, what we see here from Jesus is in keeping with the picture of peace and power that we've seen elsewhere in the Gospels. Here are just a few examples of how Jesus put God's power on display and he, how he used his power. Because remember, power, we all have it. It's a bit like Star Wars, you know? I mean, we can, we can yield that power for good or we can join the dark side with it. So Jesus, he had power, but what did he do with his power and influence? He came along... Folks, aside, alongside them, he came under them and he was there for them. A few examples, he, he intentionally in his temptations chose to, to use his power not for his own benefit, but for the benefit of others. Remember, turn these stones to bread. Feed yourself. You're hungry. Meet your own needs. You see all the kingdoms of the world. You can have them. You can have power over. You can be an Alexander the Great. You can be a Julius Caesar. You can be a King David. If you just do things this way. If you just worship the, the, the prince of the power of the air who has the power of the kingdoms of the world. But Jesus doesn't do that. Other examples, he kept the party going in Cana by turning water into wine. Just remember the, the old, uh, old person in that Baptist Sunday school class who said, yeah, well, we really wish he hadn't done that, you know. So, well, sorry he did it. 
He ate with tax collectors, sinners, and outcasts. He elevated and included women and children. He cast out demons that had beaten people naked, bloody to a pulp. He cast them out. He healed the sick. He fed the hungry. He blessed the poor. And he did not lord it over others, but serve them. Remember that verse? Here's the context of that. James and John, they, they know Jesus is nearing the end of his ministry of some kind and about to step into power, so they think, because he's been talking about that. And so they say, Jesus, well, we'd love when you come into your kingdom to sit on your right and your left. In other words, we'd like to be like your right-hand men. We want to be in the closest seats to your power as we can get. And Jesus said, you, you don't understand what you're saying. You don't understand what you're talking about. And then he goes on, he says, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over their subjects, their high officials. They exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. That means we're in bondage. Jesus come to set us free. How does he do it? Not by power over, but by power under. Not by exercising authority over, but by coming underneath people. Lord it over, that phrase there that's highlighted for you, literally means to have power over, using sheer force, heavy-handedness to get things done and to get your way. Instead, we're to use power to serve and sacrifice for others. Remember, Jesus embodied this most clearly in his final hours beginning with the Passover meal when he gave the new covenant meaning to the bread and the cup of Passover. And he washed his disciples' feet. Then after he washed their feet, they sang a hymn and headed for the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. You'll recall it was there that Jesus was betrayed and arrested. And then given a mock trial by the Sanhedrin and the religious leaders in the middle of the night. Jesus would be condemned for a number of things like healing on the Sabbath. Subverting the law, so they thought. For blasphemy, as he claimed to be the Son of God. And after that, he was sent to Pilate early in the morning on the charge of treason against Rome. For claiming to be a king. And there we see a grand collision of the opposing, opposing powers. In John 18, verse 33 through 38, John tells us, Pilate summoned Jesus. Just think about this. This is days after Pilate's procession and Jesus' procession. And here they meet face to face. He summons Jesus and asks him, are you king of the Jews? Jesus said, is that your own idea or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied. Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it that you've done? And Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders, but now my kingdom is from another place. And folks, we need to hear very clearly what Jesus is saying. While his kingdom is not of this world, it is for this world. And Pilate understood that too. Because he says, oh, you're a king then. And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And Pilate says, he would have been speaking Latin, 
quid est veritas? What is truth? Spoken like a true postmodern. What is truth? John 19, verse 7 through 11, goes on, says the Jewish leaders insisted, we have a law, and according to that law, Pilate, he must die because he claimed to be the Son of God. And when Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid. It's put between a rock and a hard place here. He went back inside the palace and asked Jesus, where do you come from? Do you refuse to speak to me? But Jesus didn't answer. He says, don't you realize I have the power to crucify you or to set you free. And Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it weren't given to you from above. As we know, Jesus refuses to play the power games of Rome and of the Jewish leaders. He keeps silent. Peter would say later, like a sheep before her shears was silent, he did not open his mouth. Jesus stayed the course. It was set three years ago in the Judean wilderness when he said no to power over and yes to power that serves others. When he made up his mind to be the Messiah God wanted, not the one that the people wanted, not the one that we want. And it's in this selfless service and sacrifice that we see what real power looks like, brothers and sisters. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, Paul said this, And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And you think about how ridiculous that sounds. But it is true. You see, they intended to make a spectacle of Jesus. Think about all these images. Jesus is accepting the title of king, but he's a different king. Not a horse, a donkey. Not a crown of gold, a crown of thorns. A scarlet robe, a sign above his head. You see, they intended to make a spectacle of Jesus, but Paul said he instead made a spectacle of them. This is what our power does. This is what our ideas of peace do. That when God sends his only son, we kill him. So to understand the power of the cross, we must be on the inside of it. Listen to me. Listen, listen to what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1.18. He said, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Those who are of the worldly mind, those who are of the world, who live in the world, who love the world. Those who are on that broad road to destruction, Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount. But for those who found the narrow way, for those who enter in through that gate, 
and accept this Messiah and this King, to those who accept the gospel, the true gospel of Jesus, they are the ones who know the power of God. This is what he means. To us who are being saved, it is the power of God. In other words, the cross is a perfect picture of the reality of God's power and why we must repent of all other forms and trust in Jesus' way of getting things done. Folks, think about it. The early church, it grew explosively. Why? Because Jesus walked out of that tomb. And because the Holy Spirit was leading them in the way of Jesus to lay their lives down if need be, this is how the kingdom expands. And this is what Jesus wants today. And this is partly why I think the Lord is sifting his church right now. While people are leaving churches and aligning themselves with churches that match their political ideologies, Jesus is saying, I have come to bring a third way. You need to stop thinking in the ditches of the right and of the left because I am saying something different. I am doing something different. This is how real peace comes. This is what real power looks like. You see, and of course, it's also this. It's an invitation to join the saved. Listen to that. Look at that verse. It's an invitation to join the saved. Begin to experience the power of God that is actually able to transform your life and the world. Yeah, you could end up dying. When you commit to God's higher way of power, as we see with, Je with Jesus, excuse me. But here's the thing. You get to keep your soul. <laughs> right? Remember what did Jesus say? You try to save it, what happens? You lose it. You lose it, you save it. Hear the words of Jesus. Because faithful disciples, we know that death is not the end. Resurrection awaits those who believe the gospel, who confess Christ as Lord and commit to following the king who rides donkeys and weeps for the lost. Finally, before we close, and hopefully you've... You've seen, I'm, I'm trying to lead us into Holy Week. This, this, see, this is why if you don't come to Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday, and you just skip to Easter, you've not really stayed on the ride, seen it through, and, and understand the beauty and the joy of Easter. The cross is not the end. Before we close, though, I want to invite us to once again gaze upon a work of art that depicts Jesus riding in on a donkey on Palm Sunday. We call this uh, Visio Divina. So we're going to look at this piece of art in just a second. And I want you to observe it with the eyes and also be aware of your feelings as we study this picture and we're aware of those thoughts and emotions. Listen to the voice of the Spirit. And then I'll ask you some questions as you gaze upon that and reflect and respond to this message. Let's do that now. your eyes drawn to in this picture. Notice the people.
sort of emotions well up inside of you. Can you see yourself in this crowd? Here's some questions for us as we reflect and respond. Just continue to look there at that painting as I ask these questions. Number one, what kind of power are you trusting? Do your words and actions reflect your trust in the power of the cross or in the power of the sword? second question do you need to repent of trying to control get your way by using people I'll be honest maybe by gossiping or slandering others or maybe withholding your love and your forgiveness maybe the Lord would call you to repent of that this morning This is how we prepare the way for the Lord. And lastly, number three, God's way is higher and so much better. How is the Spirit inviting you to use your power and influence to bless and serve others? Just take a moment to speak to the Lord about what the Spirit is saying to you now. Lord, thank you, Lord, for speaking to us. Oh, Holy Spirit, help us to receive the things that are from you this morning. Help us to recognize our flesh. Give us the power and the strength to say no to the flesh and yes to the Spirit. No to the sword and yes to the cross. Now, church, would you join me one last time in our Lenten series with this responsive prayer as we close. Your ways, O God, are higher than our ways. Your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. We seek God's ways. Lord, move us from using power over people so that we might use our influence to come under and alongside others as servants of the crucified Christ. As we walk with Christ on this Lenten journey, let us see your way more clearly and follow your way more faithfully. Amen.